welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is Chit Chat Money, and this is the Thursday Deep Dive with Ian Gray. Ian is joining us today. Uh, how are you doing out in, can I say where you're at? Flag, yep. Yeah, go Flagstaff? Yep. How's uh, Flagstaff. the snow out in Flagstaff? Well, weather well, it's almost all, yeah, it's almost all melted at this point. We, we had like three feet um, two weeks ago, and there's just some little remnants on the ground now. So it's kind of um, crazy. Dan, can't it even it. snowed near us recently. Yeah, it's supposed to snow in Seattle, really? I think like tomorrow. So could have a winter wow. in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> great. Uh, but let's get on with the show. We're talking Mohawk Group, small cap name. Ian, you own it in your portfolio. We don't own it at Arch Capital, uh, but seven invest. We got to yeah, We're going to talk about that. Yeah. So before we get that, we're going to talk about seven investing. They're our partners. And if you use the Carmel code CCM at checkout, you get $10 off your first month. And seven investing gives you seven stock recommendations for the long term each month. So it's a great deal. Normally it's 17 bucks a month. You get seven bucks for your first one. Um, I mean, we love the team over there. They have an eclectic mix of different types of stocks for higher risk names, for you know lower growth names, dividend plays, stuff like that. And their performance has been outstanding. So the team over there is great. You're monologuing. You're monologuing the sales pitch here. Yeah. Sorry. You gotta pass it. You gotta pass it off. But go, go uh, ahead. Yeah, no, right. it is a lot of fun. Uh, I look forward to their picks every month, uh, and they absolutely have killed the market. So uh, you get your money back, I guess. Uh, yeah, perfect for an individual investor that wants to invest in common stocks. But now, Ryan, let's talk about Mohawk Group. Yeah, so they're a mini conglomerate, really. So when you first look at them, I think Ian and I both had the. Uh, same impression initially, which was it's just like a consumer goods company that's selling across Amazon and Shopify and stuff like that. And it seemed really boring. But if you dig deeper, it's actually pretty cool. So they have a, what they call their AI, which and it's called Amy, which is artificial intelligence, Mohawk uh, e-commerce engine. Am I getting that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's right. Okay. And so... Uh, but this AI basically helps to optimize e-commerce strategies. So what it's doing is it's finding, it's going through Amazon and say we're looking up uh, candles, like uh, vanilla scented candles. And some of the ratings are poor, uh, but there's a lot of demand for that product. It goes in, it finds opportunities like that. And it says, this is the product that we should go for. Basically it, it finds opportunities and then uh Mohawk Group, as a company, will either develop a product or they'll acquire a company that fits that mold and they will pump, essentially, they'll just pump money into marketing till that becomes the best product on uh, Amazon. So whether it's like promotional or uh, marketing elsewhere, and once it gets good enough ratings, then they can pull back the marketing spend on it. And it's basically at cruise and it takes, uh, it takes way less costs and they can still generate the same amount of sales. So that's sort of their model. It's all built built on this Amy software, um, but they also it also uh, includes sort of logistical backend stuff. So uh, 
fulfillment centers, finding the quickest way to ship. ship some products are really, really good, but they ship weird, so they can exploit opportunities like that. Uh, but the consumer goods brands that they have are kitchenware, uh, dehumidifiers, that kind of thing. So it's not super sexy items. It's just stuff that uh, the CEO actually talked about this. So 75% of searches on Amazon don't have a brand name in them. It's like uh, dehumidifiers or ice makers, and they don't put a brand name on them. That's the market they're going after, stuff where people don't really care about brand. Um, and so they own a bunch of brands basically around that, uh, and they sell through Amazon, Shopify, Walmart. I think they go direct to consumer as well online, uh, but most of their sales come from Amazon, and the history is a little muddled. It's it, Apparently, there is some drama, I guess, that went on with the founders, but uh, I believe it was started in 2014. One of the co-founders was Yanev Sarig. I might be saying that wrong, but he is also the current CEO. I actually really liked him. He uh, seemed like a bright guy, but that's for another time. He grew up in Israel, and he said he was always fascinated with technology ever since uh, he was young. Uh, but they started out really with the focus just on technology. They were like, what would an e-commerce company look like in the future? And they really focused on that AI to start. So trying to exploit opportunities with uh, uh, software insights. Um, and then they started to like, they had no experience with consumer goods, but they just went tech first and then started to buy those consumer goods brands. Um, and they IPO, I believe in 2019, but like I said, there's not a lot of history that's out there on them. I think the co-founders might have had a falling out because one of them apparently come, came back. Ian, you said that one of them is like on Twitter, right? Yeah, there's one on Twitter that you'll see around. I think his name is Asher Delug, who owns, I was going to get into this a little bit later, but he owns about, um, I think it's like 12% of the company or something like that. So still a fairly big stake, but isn't doesn't seem to be involved in the day-to-day -day operations. Yeah, not a highly covered name whatsoever. And that's, I mean, true because the market cap for a long time was sub $100 million. But I'll get into the industry landscape competition. I mean, the Amazon third-party marketplace is growing really rapidly, and that's their main place where they sell. So third-party sellers are expected to grow at a 16% rate and hit over $500 billion by 2025. So a lot of volume is flowing through Amazon for the FBA stuff or whatever, you know, third-party marketplace. There's undeniably a huge tailwind if these estimates are correct, especially over the next few years here. The competition is a little bit strange. So the largest would be something called Thrasio, which according to Mohawk has a $500 million in estimated sales, so a bit larger than Mohawk, and they've raised almost $1 billion. The popularity for a lot of PE companies, so private equity, to roll up these e-commerce brands has gotten, you know, I don't know, they, they must have seen Mohawk's business model and thought, all right, there's a lot of white space here to just roll up a bunch of small e-commerce companies and do all the back office together. Um, the other competitors, you know, are traditional CPG brands. There's a ton of them out there. Not a lot of individual competitors to name or not a lot of like, there's not like two or three. There's just, you know, dozens and dozens across right. all of the different things they sell. And the landscape right now, there's 2.5 million active sellers on Amazon. A lot of them are individuals and smaller, but it just shows for Mohawk's acquisition strategy, there's probably a lot of rocks they can turn over. Yeah, and they, they compete not only with other consumer goods that shoppers are looking for, but also there's like other uh, software optimization tools for uh, Amazon sellers. So I believe they license uh, their Amy content. And uh, 
I, I think, I mean, uh, Brady, I've seen you, you do some Amazon selling, right? Do you, have you ever used any other softwares? That is one I've heard referenced. There's like, I don't think they can hear what Brady's saying, but okay. he said some software. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it, there's softwares that basically help you exploit the best opportunities. So they also compete on that front. I think jungle scout is one and then helium might be another one as well. Yeah. Um, but the, the software stuff's like what a really small part of the business. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ian, what do you have for management? Yep. So like Ryan mentioned, uh, Yaniv Sarig is the CEO and founder. There's a really good YouTube interview with Sean Emery from Avery and company, uh, that you can check out. That was kind of what first got me interested in Mohawk. Um, in the first place was just listening to him talk. It's about 45 minutes long and he seems like a really smart guy thinking about the right things. Um, seems to be a visionary and really kind of looking, looking years into the future about what he wants to build uh, Mohawk into. So like I said, I'd really recommend uh, checking out that interview. He owns about 5% of the company. So a healthy stake. Um, as I was just mentioning a second ago, there's also this guy named Asher Delug who you might've seen on Twitter. Uh, he, he's tweets out stuff about this, uh, about Mohawk sometimes saying, uh, like giving his own guidance estimates and, uh, saying stuff about what he thinks of the acquisitions and things like that. He, he, like I said, he doesn't seem to be currently involved with the company. He looks to be a former co-founder. Um, and he owns, uh, 10 or 12% of the company, something around there. Um, there's also kind of just to go through the ownership structure. There's also a company called nine, uh, 9,008 or 9830 MacArthur, which sold e-commerce assets to Mohawk and is the largest shareholder owning about 21% of the company. So this is kind of a good example of what Mohawk is doing a little bit with these acquisitions is many of these acquisitions that they make the acquired company, or generally it's like an individual who owns the company actually wants stock in Mohawk rather than just cash. And so then the bigger the company is, then the larger portion of uh, the common shares outstanding that they own going forward. And so there's quite a few um, companies if you look through their ownership structure. Um, like I said, uh, Sean Emery and Avery and co looks like they actually own about um, almost 4% of the company. So they have a fairly healthy stake as well. Nice. Um, and then all Sean. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, been like the first good... guy in on this name. So yeah, he, he definitely deserves all the credit here. Basically he's the one who first got it on my radar. So I saw some of his stuff on Twitter and got me interested. Um, and then altogether insiders own about 37% of Mohawk, which is a really, really big chunk. So definitely aligned with shareholder interest in that sense. Um, I would expect that percentage to come down as they make more acquisitions and do some more dilution, but uh, it's good to see for now. Yeah. A lot of insider ownership. All right. I'll hit the valuation ticker is MWK. There is a Mohawk industries. So don't get confused with that. It's the one that's MWK. There's one that looks exactly like it. That's uh, carpeting. Yeah. So carpeting. Carpeting. Yeah. yeah. It's a different company. <laughs> uh, you'll get confused, but it's MWK. For those in the United States, I don't think it's, it's probably not traded internationally yet. Uh, enterprise value as of recording is about $661 million. So small cap, even to sales is about four and they're unprofitable. All their, they're right around break even now over the last few quarters. No dividend and share crown has grown this year due to a follow-on offering. They IPO'd in 2019. And I think it was late 2019. So pretty, um, you know, pretty close follow-on offering, but they're doing that to kind of raise money and go after this big market opportunity. You should expect, you know, share dilution and 
you know, continuing of this acquisition strategy. They had about 21.8 million shares outstanding on September 30th and about 1.6 million stock options outstanding and about 2.36 million unvested restricted stock units. So a lot of uh, dilution baked in there. And I'm putting this in there just because, again, you should expect the share count to go up over the next few years. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's part of their strategy to retain talent and, you know, go through their acquisitions and stuff like that. But it's just being part of a growth company. You have to price that into whatever model you're using for Mohawk Group. Yeah. And a lot of those offerings are used like almost on a per need basis. So when they're getting ready to acquire a company, they'll just bake in some dilution to it or they'll add stock to the uh, acquisition costs. Um, And so, I mean, as long as they're buying quality businesses and able to sort of develop them and scale them better, um, then I guess it's a good choice for them to sell that stock. But I'll get into the earnings. Uh, Last 12 month revenue was 170 million up 57% year over year. They have about 44% gross margins. I think that was a little higher in the most recent quarter, but that's over last 12 months. Uh, they had negative $33 million in EBITDA for the trailing 12 months. They're pretty much break even on a cash flow basis. And in its most recent quarter, contribution margin increased from 8% to 19.1%. Um, so their products kind of go through this three-phase life cycle. And they highlight this on the 10K, but they have the launch phase. So this is the phase that I talked about early on, which is they identify the opportunity. They enter the market with a bunch of discounts. They do a bunch of marketing and in this time, they expect net margins to approximately be about minus 35%. So they are basically selling this thing to hopefully reach scale and then not have to uh, pay as much to get those sales done. Um, And they want to be the top product for each of these categories. And then they hope every one of their products enters the next phase, which is the sustain phase. Um, And they target a 10% net margin for this phase. That's what they want every product to go to. That's sort of the end. That's the paradise. They hope they reach the sustain phase. And they peel back the marketing costs on those. And then the third one is the milk phase. That's what they call it. Um, and this is when the product doesn't enter the sustain phase. So if customer satisfaction is low, ratings are bad, they will just liquidate it and sell the remaining inventory. They, uh, As of their last report, they haven't had any products hit that phase yet. So uh, they've been perfect so far, but they did just make a bunch of acquisitions. Um, So they launched eight new products in the third quarter versus three last year. But since the third quarter, I think they made acquisitions of uh, 43 new products to the portfolio. So keep in mind, the whole third quarter, they added eight new products. And then since then, they've added 43 new products. So they, and that was done through acquisitions, I think of like almost six different brands. Um, And they're getting these brands at a pretty low multiple, which I'll talk about later. But um, yeah, does that kind of cover the earnings? Their their forward guidance is probably the most important part because they're going to have a lot of inorganic growth uh, from these acquisitions. Um, And sales was like way up, uh, at least their guidance was. Yes, they're going to be aggressive or they are being aggressive with those acquisitions and trying to grow the portfolio. I think that's that's clear. Uh, Ian, do you want to hit balance sheet before we wrap up the first half? Yep. And before I dive into the balance sheet, I just want to touch briefly on what Ryan was saying there about the different phases, because I think he laid that out really well. And it dawned on me that it's a little bit like you can't call this recurring revenue. It's different customers that are buying um, the products. But in a sense, it kind of has some similarities to some of these recurring revenue models we see because they spend a bunch of money up front to get the customers. 
and a recurring revenue model, right? You spend a bunch of money, you get the customers, and then they just keep paying you quarter after quarter after quarter. With Mohawk's model, they pay a bunch of money up front to get the reviews, and the reviews attract customers at no cost to the company at that point. And so they kind of spend the money up front to get the reviews, which then creates a, a somewhat similar stream to recurring revenue in a sense. So like I said, it's kind of an interesting, it just dawned on me as um, you were talking about that, Ryan, but I think it's an interesting um, model. And uh, the CEO mentioned in that interview with Sean Emery, he's like, a lot of the customers now, they're making purchasing decisions based off data that's readily available. So they're, they're not necessarily looking up a brand name, but they're going, looking up the item and then just scrolling through reviews, pictures and stuff like that. So they're really trying to optimize for the third party e-commerce platforms. Yep. And the, and I think what they say is if they can get above a 4.3 on the ratings, that really gets them to that sustained phase. If okay. they can, if they can get 4.3 on ratings, then they're in good shape. So that's anyways, what I, that's what I care about. The good rating on Amazon. <laughs> I think, I think yeah, it totally, it totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I can go ahead and dive into the balance sheet. So they've got, and this is, you, you'll want to check on this once the next quarter comes out too, because like Ryan mentioned, they've been pretty active on some of these acquisitions and stuff. But as of the last quarter, they had $37 million in cash, about $26 million in debt, um, which was kind of expensive debt. It was about a 6% rate on a term loan they have that was, um, around, uh, I think 14 million left on that. And then 10% on the revolver, which was the rest of it. So there may be an opportunity to get that refinanced. Um, yeah, hopefully. A lower rate. Yeah. <laughs> you would they, hope in this environment, but they paid down that revolver early, if I'm not mistaken. Some of it, I think some of it, yeah. they had 25 million out on the revolver. I believe they paid like half of it back if I'm correct. Okay. Yes, I believe so. Like I said, you're going to want to check the most updated. They've been pretty active in the last three months. And so you're going to want to check the next quarter um, quarterly report to see how it all shook out. But um, they have been paying down some of their debt. Um, like I said, it's going to, it could change a lot because of this, these acquisitions. So um, one, one other piece I'll point out is their inventory, their inventory ratio um, inventory turnover ratio is up to 3.8 times which means basically for every um, that they only that they're selling through all their inventory four times in a year, 3.8 times in a year, which is up from 1.9 times in 2019. They actually have less um, inventory in the balance sheet now than they did back in 2019 when they weren't doing nearly as many sales. And so um, that's pretty exciting just that they can get more efficient like that. It helps improve their operating margin, the net margin. So um you know, something to keep watching if they can really uh, bump that inventory turnover ratio even higher. Um, that would be pretty exciting, but definitely moving in the right direction there. So generally happy with the balance sheet. Love to see a little bit of a debt refinance, but um, looking good. Yeah, the inventory ratio will be interesting to watch to see if they can increase that or sustain this one over time. That can really help their cash flow. But we're going to get uh, to the ad break here, and then we're going to move to the second half of the show, talk more analysis on Mohawk Group. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages 
for Mohawk Group. So Ian, kick things off. What do you have? Yep. So I think the major competitive advantage as I see it is their expertise. They've done this for long enough that they understand how to roll up brands and really make them as profitable as can be. Um, they get them at attractive multiples, fast integrations. They say that it takes them less than 48 hours to get the new brands that they buy integrated into their systems and uh, producing uh, through Mohawk and also enhanced logistics networks and even manufacturing relationships. Uh, Many of their products you'll notice are kind of big, um, bulky things like dehumidifiers. There's like a space heater thing. There's some stuff like that that's uh, traditionally kind of harder for people to manufacture. And they've built relationships that really, um, they can manufacture those uh, with high quality and at a um, reasonable price. So, it's really, I think their expertise just in this area is really um, a competitive advantage. And they also don't really need to take on additional staff when they make these acquisitions. They're able to right. just bring the, the products over. Right. They just basically outsource a lot of the logistics to Amazon, who's the best at that. Seems like that makes sense. Right. And it keeps them asset light. But Ryan, what do you have for competitive advantages? Uh, so I guess the their acquisition targets are like consumer goods businesses that are selling stuff uh through e-commerce strategies, whether it's Amazon or Shopify, stuff like that. And that's, you know, that can make some good money for uh, individuals or small businesses, but it's really, really hard to scale those. And so as they reach sort of a threshold, then they look for, all right, can I sell this? Can I sell my business at a premium? And their premiums are really cheap. If, uh, I mean, Mohawk Group is getting most of these companies for three or four times EBITDA multiples, which is, Super, super cheap. I mean, three or four times sales multiples in this world is, uh, it seems cheap. So, I mean, Mohawk trades at four times sales. So, they're basically acquiring and devaluation technically has, uh, you know, just kind of inflates because they're a part of Mohawk then. Right. And uh, so, for example, they just bought Healing Solutions LLC. Uh, and so, this just sells essential oils and it had, that uh, the healing solutions had 12.7 million in operating income for the last 12 months. Mohawk group bought them at 3.8 times uh, their operating income. And I believe their operating margin was somewhere around 15 or 20%. So they can buy these businesses for really, really cheap because they're so niche and not that many, they have the ability to really scale these niche operations. Most uh, most acquirers don't want to buy this company because then they have to do the work to make it better. Mohawk thrives on that. And that's a really, I mean, it feels like a big advantage for them. Yeah. Ian. Yeah. And I was just going to say one thing that was interesting. They, they did a, a call about the transaction a few days ago and I'd really recommend looking at, looking at it. It was about 40 minutes or something, but one of the things that the CEO mentioned on there is, Hey, these seem like really low multiples to us and they are, and then they, you know, get incorporated into us and immediately get a re-rating. But to the people that are buying them from us, they seem like higher multiples because those person, those people are taking, um, the operating income they're getting, and then they're having to pay expenses out of it. And so they're really thinking about what their take home pay is as the owner. Right. And so they're looking at it and going, if I can get, and sometimes it's only a quarter of what operating income is. So if I can get, four times the operating income, that's 16 times or 10 times, you know, somewhere in that range, my take home pay, which really makes sense for a lot of these, because it's a lot of small companies, right? It's small kind of owner operated companies. And so they look at it and they get, they say, I can cash out for 10 to 15 times my take home pay. That works for me. 
but it works great for Mohawk to immediately buy it at three to four times EBITDA and get it valued at four times sales. Right. Cause uh, they get the X out that all that overhead. It's a, it, it's a shark tank conglomerate. I mean, oh, these yeah. are like the shark tank businesses, <laughs> you know, all those businesses that you see being pitched on shark tank, Mohawk's just buying them. Yeah. Hopefully it's not actually those really bad ones that are on shark tank. But. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll have mine. I'll have mine. Uh, you know, theoretically the machine learning stuff, uh, it can help identify products and there should be an economies of scale there where they have the data advantage or however you want to call that. I'd be interested to see if they could do some work where like stitch fix publishes, how they do all their stuff for identifying, you know, products for clients and how it all works because I'm a little skeptical that it goes beyond like, all right, this product category doesn't have anything above four stars. Let's go do something there. That doesn't seem like something that machine learning you really need it for, or maybe, I mean, the strategy is working, right? But they might be overhyping it there. Now with marketing, you know, automating marketing, logistics stuff, getting that, you know, with the data advantage could work. Uh, but again, you know, I, I'm a little skeptical on parts of it, but it seems like the machine learning stuff could get them some sort of, you know, competitive advantage or mode around the business. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, that's supposed to be their big competitive advantage, right? Yeah, it, it makes it doesn't make sense to me why they're outsourcing a Amy. You know, yeah. right? I mean, that's always that's always kind of confused me a little bit too. Like, if it's that valuable of a tool, yeah. And I just I I assume maybe what it is is that it's just there's enough supply out there. You know, how many how many third party sellers did you say there were? Two point five million. Yeah, 2.5 million. There's enough supply out there and there's enough places to do good deals that they can't take them all on. And so, um, you know, maybe they outsource the the software yeah. a little bit, but. And I think it's, I, I guess I could be wrong on this, but I think they're only licensing sort of a limited part of Amy. Because um, okay. it, it is called man, they label it as managed SaaS. And this is my future growth opportunity because uh, I think being a seller on Amazon, uh, that can make some income for people, but it's really hard to make a ton of money being a seller on Amazon. And so hopefully Amy can help a lot of people do that. Obviously the TAM there, uh, the addressable market, like Brett just said, two and a half million sellers. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of potential customers. And for reference, the more sellers that, or I mean, the more sellers that uh, Amazon has on the platform, the higher customer acquisition costs grow. And so the more that you can optimize uh, your uh, strategies, marketing strategies, logistics, stuff like that, uh, the better you can be as a seller. And Amy really lets people do that. And I would like, I hope that it is sort of a limited offering. I hope they're not giving them like the uh, market identifier part because there's obviously the logistics part of when you're actually selling the product, they're still using Amy, but then there's the opportunity identifier, which gives them which markets to go into. If they're giving them that part, that's a little concerning for me because you're just inviting competition. Whereas uh, instead of just helping other people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know this, that part of the business doesn't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it all, but that part of the business doesn't make that much sense to me. If you have the, you know, Mohawk group on its own too. Okay. All right. Uh, Ian, what do you have? Yep. So I've got kind of the obvious one for future growth opportunities. I'm looking at acquisitions. Uh, they just make too much sense right now. You Capital's cheap. You can go grab a big chunk of the market uh, while you can roll up as many of these little businesses, bring them in, get the multiple re-rate. Um, 
they say the space is getting more heated. And I think Brett, you may have mentioned this too, just about the PE firms that are diving into this space. Yeah. Um, Thrasio, uh, it, it's like getting more heated. Ones, yeah. yeah. And it's getting more heated. People are looking at this going, Hey, we can like this, the economics on this really work, which is a good sign in one sense, but, um, you know, it, it also is, uh, you know, these multiples that they're having to pay may start going up on some of these businesses. Uh, one other thing, one other note on acquisitions, the essential oils acquisition that Ryan mentioned was their first move into consumables. Most of their products have been durables. And so, um, you know, things that people buy want, you know, the humidifier, space heater, um, you know, things like exercise equipment and things like that. Um, but now with the essential oils, there's actually the potential for some repeat customers. Um, so there, and I think on the call, they said that they're thinking about moving into more consumables. They'll see how this goes, but, um, they see that as another growth avenue. Okay. I'll hit mine then. It's another simple one, but it's international right now. They do none of their stuff outside of North America. Uh, it's, I think 98 or 99% of the revenue was in North America. Um, I mean, you know, I mean the model scales, everyone needs these type of products or maybe everyone likes to, you know, every country has people that use products like this. So that's simple, but it seems like there's a lot of room to run there. Amazon is pretty global. So once that scales out to there, or they could go to some of the local names like, you know, Mercado Libre in Latin America. Um, you got, what is it in India? It's called Flipkart in India, China. You obviously have Alibaba and JD.com and maybe Tencent. I don't know. Tencent does everything, but uh, and then another thing would be like Ian mentioned, the long-term shareholders. I mean, I think they would love an equity raise at these prices or just using a ton of stock to buy, to buy companies because, I mean, if you're trading at four times sales or whatever we're at right now, the stock is up, what, 5X over the last few months. Yeah, you would love to see management take advantage of that. They're also, I mean, they're not generating... Or maybe they did last quarter, but they're not really generating right. cash flow. So yeah. they need to find that cash somewhere. I mean, why don't, yeah, I, they're paying 10% on their debt. Well, let's do a raise and just X that out, right? <laughs> I mean, I, come on, the market is, yeah, the market so. wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. What about highlights and lowlights, Ian? What do you got? Yep. So my highlights, uh, simple model, you know, you go get, you find a product or a, a market inefficiency, you go build a product that's a little better than the other one, get a 4.3 star rating. It turns into 10, 10 to 20% contribution margin, and they have an 80% success rate with that. That's just those economics work. And if they can continue to do that, whether it's through acquisitions or through launching their own products, that's just a, that's a model for success. Um, I'm also encouraged, like I said, by the being more efficient with inventory and they're being aggressive right now. They've made a lot of acquisitions in the last few months. And I, I like to see that, that they're really trying to take uh, the bull by the horns, <laughs> I guess, and just really take advantage of kind of the momentum they have and really try and get as big as they can right now. Uh, a couple of little low lights, we've mentioned it already, but the higher cost debt, um, dilution too. Like share count has doubled since 2018. And I don't think this is like a red flag or anything. It's just, it's a reality of this company is like Brett said earlier, you have to bake this into your models. If you're looking at it, that dilution will occur both from, um, you know, employee options, but also majority of that's going to come from these acquisitions that they make, which if the one that they made uh, recently is any indication, I think the draw, the stock jumped like 20, 25% on the news of the acquisition. So the market likes these acquisitions. The company becomes more valuable with them, but it, there is going to be some dilution. And then the last low light I have is just some competition. Um, 
these the, the multiples they're getting on some of these businesses right now may not still be there yeah, um, it in might the rise, next yeah. few months. It may it may rise and it may be more like six or seven times, but we'll see. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Uh, I like Yanif Sarik. Uh, I thought that interview with him and Sean uh, was really, really good. Uh, it, it does feel like a really interesting, it, it's a simple business. It's super like, uh, it's analyzable, I guess. Uh, it's easy enough to understand. It's not too complex. My only problems are, it, it kind of feels like you're throwing money at an algorithm without knowing what's all behind it. Um, I mean, the AI is only as smart as the people that built it. Um, and I, it also, as far as the business goes, um, it, it seems very unorganized. And so there was a lot of, uh, there are some interviews with ex-employees and some of the employees only were there for like a year, a uh, year and a half. So it looked like there was some employee turnover, but it, from what they said, it seemed very unorganized. Yanif Sarik seemed like uh, really, they everyone had high praise for him, but organizationally, it seems like they're a little distraught right now. Maybe they just so, COO, yeah, or a good one, yeah. Or I mean, yeah, it might just be they're young and they're moving fast, and maybe that's maybe that's the life of a startup. But it feels I, I don't just the business itself operationally needs to be sort of streamlined. Yeah, um, and I, I th- yeah, and I agree with the the Lola you have there about the algorithm thing. I I kind of have a concern with that as well because I think it's maybe there's more to it than meets the eye, but I think it's it's copyable, right? I mean, you kind of okay, you so, kind of think. I mean, as long as you can uh, code it out. Or, people said, I read some interviews about this, and no, uh, like it is doable if you figure it out. But apparently, it took a lot of trial and error okay. and time to get to that. So, if you had sort of the rules and principles to code out, yeah, anyone can build it. But to find those rules and principles, it takes a lot of trial and error and sort of sweat equity. I guess is uh, okay. So it's copyable. It might take a year at least or longer. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll hit my highlights. You know, we're seeing a lot of gross margin expansion right now, which I think is strong. You can apply the business model to any product on Amazon and to any country Amazon sells on. And they're just going to ride that Amazon tailwind, which has just been impressive, especially for that third-party marketplace. Um, one low light that uh, I had some of the other ones that are similar to you guys, but one low light that you guys didn't talk about was the PPE. So PPE, not property equipment, but uh, the medical sales. So last year they had, I believe you'd probably say it's an artificial bump. So they said we saw an increase in wholesale revenue last quarter of 9.8 million versus the prior year, primarily from the sale of PPE during the current period. So the last three months, a lot of their growth was from this, you know, healthcare equipment and stuff like that for medical workers. I'm not sure that can repeat because that basically came out of nowhere. And it was a great idea to do it during the pandemic, but uh, is that an artificial bump? I don't know. You know, revenue growth might not be as impressive when you take that into account. I do think it's uh, sort of minute in comparison to their actual sales, especially the sales that they've forecasted for the, uh, this next year. Um, Are you sure though? Because nine point eight million of what? They're. I think they forecasted for three hundred to five hundred million. I know that was per quarter. Nine point eight million of the revenue they had last quarter. Well, uh, sorry, 9.8 of the 58 million in revenue that last quarter was from PPE. That's material to me. Yeah, but I mean, going forward, uh, I think their guidance uh, probably uh, takes that into account, I would assume, right? And yeah, their guidance, their guidance was still uh, pretty strong. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, was still yeah, health, it was still healthy guidance for sure. Yeah, and they also have said they've gotten some pushback that is this guidance a little bit light. Um, and they've kind of said, yeah, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little, <laughs> we like to be conservative or something. Yeah. Yeah. More or less interested. Ian, you want to go first? I think sure. we know your question because you do, uh, <laughs> do yeah, I do own it. I was just telling you guys, it was, it's up to, I think my third biggest position now. Um, and I like the stock. I think it, I think, um, like we've talked about, I think the CEO is really smart. Um, they seem to be moving in the right direction and it seems like it's just a really solid, solid model that would be hard to screw up at this point, unless they really overextended themselves. They seem like they're just kind of clicking on all cylinders and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens over this next year. Okay. Ryan. Yeah, it does seem, it seems like they were sort of like move fast and break things model, uh, over the last five years, but I think they've figured it out. Um, and they've sort of they like Ian said they're they're moving a lot better now uh, and they're more consistent uh, and sort of firing on all cylinders if you will. Uh, I do like the business. I don't typically like stocks that move forty percent in a day. Um, if it moves, you them. yeah. If, but <laughs> I, I just I don't like maybe I'm slow moving, but. I don't like sporadic movements because then you feel like you have to capitalize on them. And, yeah. and it's just, it sometimes becomes harder to own. Uh, like I want something that I can own and just look away. Uh, something that moves that fast sometimes concerns me, but that's what you get with small caps and uh, yeah, the business all in all, uh, I, I do like it a lot. What about you? Uh, yeah. I mean, the business, I, I like the business definitely more interested. Um, if you're, Potentially a new investor, this obviously isn't a recommendation to buy or sell anything, but don't anchor to what the price was this summer. The valuation at an EV to sale of four, which should be probably go down to about three or something next year. It doesn't seem crazy. Now they rec they guide for long-term adjusted EBITDA margins about 13 to 50%, which throw those out the window, but that probably indicates that free cash flow margins will be about eight to 10%. So if you think that free cash flow margins at scale will be about 10%. You're probably getting it at what, 40 times terminal free cash flow right now. Yeah. Add in some share dilution, you might be at about 50 to 60 times. So you're pricing in, if you think at maturity, it'll trade at like 20 to 25 times free cash flow. You're pricing in a few years of growth, but it's well, not a crazy stick right now. Yeah. It, it seems pretty fair. Uh, I mean, the summer is obviously a lot better. Hindsight's 2040, but I don't, you know. yeah, I don't think the, I don't think the valuation is too crazy. The, but it's definitely you higher are, than it will be if unless they can get free cash flow margins to higher than the, right. whatever they're just even the margins it is higher than what their terminal multiple will be mm, but it's definitely. not that much higher it's not like they're trading at 200 times yeah agreed all right that's gonna do it for this well, episode no, no, no. i know we got i'm gonna say my pick for next week it's my turn we're doing avalara avalara you ever heard okay. of that one it's a software company for tax automation I know Brady's been doing taxes here, so we might actually uh, need some anecdotal evidence for that. But. Was the CEO the guy who was just on Invest Like the Best? I don't know, but if he was, uh, we will make sure to listen. Uh, Pull it I don't know. Down. He might have. But either way, interesting company. I don't know much about it right now, but uh, I like the business model. seems like something that everyone needs. So, yeah. All right. Hold on. I'm pulling it up hold right on. now. Okay. Any ever heard of Avalara? I've heard of it. I haven't ever looked deep into it. So excited to take a look at it this week. Oh, no, it was a sauna. 
Asana. That was Dustin Moskovitz, actually, the yeah. forgotten Facebook founder. Um, Never forget. Shame. Shame. All right. Avalara. Well, okay, maybe you guys good. can get him on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> definitely be able to. We'll get the CEO of a $10 billion company on. No problem. That'll be very easy. But that's going to do it for this episode, guys. As always, make sure you use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at 7investing. Remember, Ryan and I are partners at Arch Capital. We run an investment fund called Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed on this podcast. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode.